All right, well, it is great to be with you. Um, I appreciate uh, the continued opportunities to be here uh, and the continued support. Um, if you have not already, I would encourage you to go to my website and uh, tune in to uh, my podcast uh, this week. Uh, this week is actually the interview that I recorded with Wally from The Wally Show when I was in Nashville, Tennessee this past June. And it's actually already posted early because I am leaving on vacation uh, after this service. So um, if you want to go to either um, speakingforhim.com or you can go to uh, uh, sermon.net and look me up there but probably the easiest way is speakingforhim.com to find that and then the following week is our 150th podcast celebration which was also a very fun episode to record so just throwing that out there um, if you have your Bibles with you I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10 Luke chapter 10, we are making our way through this detailed account that our brother uh, Luke, the beloved physician, has given us. And so we will be, Lord willing, covering the first 24 verses of Luke 10 this morning. Uh, before we uh, do that, let's go to the Lord and ask for his presence here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, study your word. We thank you for, as yet, the freedom to do so. We pray that you would be with us and, and help us to uh, continue to equip ourselves and put on the armor of God so that we can continue to withstand the evil one. We pray that you would uh, give us wisdom in the message you have for us today and that you would prepare us to be ready to uh, to stand for you, even when standing for you may cost us a lot. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, well, today we're covering a portion where Jesus has some specific instructions and sends out 70 disciples. And we often think of the 12 disciples, but there are often larger numbers of people at specific times that would follow Jesus. And as a matter of fact, in the upper room in Acts, which Lord willing we will get into after Luke is complete, we will find that there was 120 disciples waiting in the upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So although God, Jesus um, had chosen 12 disciples to be his uh his uh, his closest team, he obviously had other disciples throughout. Now, of course, we know that there have been times when he would be thronged with crowds and then they would start to leave when they didn't get what they wanted out of the equation. There was one such time in the book of John when Jesus basically said, I'm not going to give you a second free meal. And that's my paraphrase, of course. And... Uh, all these people that were following him left except for the 12 disciples. 
And he said, well, you go away also. And what did Peter say? He said, where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And whenever I despair and start to doubt, I think of that verse. Because if, if I ever, for a moment, were to consider, well, if I wasn't following Christ, if I wasn't doing this ministry, what would I do? That verse pops in my head and I say, well, there it would be nowhere to go if I wasn't going toward Jesus Christ. So, let's look at the first eight verses here. I kind of... If you're taking notes, I kind of made this first point. Go forth and trust me. And let's, let's see what Jesus says here. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city whither he himself would come. Therefore, setting unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from that house. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Alright, well as always, there is a lot in here. But uh, Jesus apparently uh, was going into to some cities round about and he wanted to send an advanced team or advanced teams to prepare the way. Now to make a modern example, which is by is really a weak comparison because he was just a man, I've heard it said that Billy Graham will, would not go to a place for a crusade unless people in that city had been praying for six months before he came. He wanted people to do groundwork so that when he came, people would be ready to receive the word of God. And we see a similar thing here. You know, I think this is one of the first times I noticed that detail I, I kind of thought before that he was just sending people two by two into different cities, but it clearly says into cities whither he himself would come. And I, I have to think that we have been sent out in a similar way. Jesus has a desire for all men to come to him. He has a desire for people everywhere to repent and find peace in the salvation that only he can bring because of what he did on the cross. 
And when we go into a different sphere of influence, we are all of a sudden given a new opportunity to go before him, so to speak. Obviously, he is everywhere. So again, a weak analogy. But it is quite possible, depending on what your sphere of influence is, that you may be in a sphere where there aren't a lot of Christians, where there aren't a lot of opportunities to talk about the Word of God or hear about the Word of God. And you could be the one that God uses as the physical vessel to turn the tide. I think this is important as I think about life because I know certain people will say, well, I had this certain goal, like I, I was studying art or I was interested in radio or I was interested in such and such, and then I became a believer and decided to give it all up to preach the gospel. Now, I'm not here to say that preaching the gospel is bad. Obviously, I'm a preacher of the gospel, and it's my passion, and I can't do anything else. You know, I've heard preachers say, if you can do anything else, don't preach. And Jesus said, and James said, be not many teachers, because you'll be under a stricter, um, people will, will pay more attention to you, and you'll be strict, more strictly judged. But I have come to find out that I cannot do anything else. It would be kind of similar to what I said earlier. Where would I go if I wasn't a preacher? But I just want to encourage you, if you have a, a skill in art, or if you have a skill in auto mechanics, or whatever your skill may be, it may very well be that he doesn't want you to reinvent the wheel and change everything you're doing, but maybe he wants you to share the gospel as an auto mechanic, share the gospel as an architect, share the gospel as a mom in your home. I think it was Martin Luther who said, the Christian cobbler, which if you don't know who that is, that's a shoemaker. The Christian shoemaker does not preach the gospel by stitching a verse on every shoe. He preaches the gospel by making the best shoes he can and then using that as a bridge to share that the reason that he does the quality job is to show forth God's goodness. So how do you show your faith, the first thing you do is do whatever God has called you to do with the best of your ability. Yes, we need to speak about Christ. We do. I don't subscribe to, you know, preach the gospel all the time and if necessary use words. But I have seen how my actions have opened up opportunities to use my word. So this I want to encourage you. And then Jesus says, Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And again, I'm going to say something that is kind of counter what most people preach when they preach on this passage. Because a lot of times people say, well, that means that God's calling me to Timbuktu or the jungles of Africa. And maybe he is. 
Please don't misunderstand me. If that's where he's calling you, you need to go there. But there are so many people here in the great country of the United States of America who need God. Our nation needs God. We need to be turned back to God. Over the past couple of weeks, there have been five, I believe now, videos from Planned Parenthood, which are atrocious. I'm not going to talk about them in detail here. But are we as a nation have sinned greatly in that we do not value human life and we look for any excuse to snuff it out? How can we be a great nation if we don't even care for the weakest and most vulnerable among us? And I'm not just talking about the unborn. We don't want to care for the elderly anymore either. The Bible says in Proverbs, despise not thy mother when she is old. And I am determined to the best of my ability that my parents will be cared for when they're old. It's my calling as their son to do that as much as I can. And I'm so thankful that I have other brothers and sisters that feel the same way. But we need to restore a love for life in our culture. And we need to restore a love for life in our church. I think sometimes the way the church views children isn't that far removed from the way the world does. And then they look at us and they say, well, you're not that much different than me, so how are you going to convince me that what I'm doing is wrong? That's why God says, come out from among them and be separate. So he says, go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Okay, so he says, go your way. I send you as sheep into the wolves. I see this today too. Because there's a lot of wolves. There's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing today. I just heard about another prominent preacher who said there's room in the discussion about marriage to redefine it. Jesus said, For this cause shall a man leave his wife, for leave his mother and father to be joined unto his wife, and to cleave unto her, and they too shall be one flesh. That is the definition of marriage, as God wrote it. God gave it as a gift for us, and we need to see it as that, and we need to stand up and defend it. But then he says, Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. In other words, don't get distracted. You have a goal. You have a place to go, and I want you to go there and do the work. And into whatsoever you enter, whatsoever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. It shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain 
eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from the house to house. Alright, so this is a good lesson too, because how often has your mom told you when you were growing up that the only choice you have for your meal is what's on your plate? Even if it's green, even if it's something that you don't like at all, I'll tell you, here's my strategy. If, if, if I have something on my plate that I don't really like, I try to eat that first. So then I can enjoy the good food later. But the point being, eat what's set before you. And I wonder, as the church expanded to include the Gentiles, if the Jewish believers went back to this, this time where Jesus was talking to them and he says, eat what's set before you. I'm not necessarily convinced that all the, the, the Jewish believers stopped eating kosher. There's health benefits to eating kosher. I believe that because God made it that way. He had the food laws for a reason. But he also said, basically, if you go into a Gentile house, whatever house you go into, uh, eat what's set before you and don't ask about it. Paul had similar things to say. So, Jesus is basically saying to these people, as I said for my first point, go forth and trust me. They had no idea exactly what to expect. He said, don't bring anything. Now, this does not mean don't never plan, because we can take things out of context if we're not careful. Proverbs says, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, who storeth away her food before winter. So we're not saying don't plan, but in this particular instance, Jesus said, go forth and don't worry about where your necessities will come from because I will provide for you. In uh, John chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, um, and this, this kind of relates a little bit to, uh, to the next point, actually, but I'm going to read it here. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be offended. There shall come, they shall put you out of the synagogues, yet the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he does God a service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that hath sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? <clears throat> All right. So, as we continue... In Luke chapter 10, we'll, we'll see a little bit of the 
significance of these verses. And this second point is important too. It says, if they don't receive you, move on. And this is uh, verses, verses 10, verses, let's see, verses 9 to 16 of Luke chapter 10. Let's read those together. Okay, I'm going to go back to 8 just to overlap. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works that have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were done in you, they would have a great while ago repented in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Caesarea, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust to hell. He that heareth you heareth me. And he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. We already read that passage in John about what Jesus is forecasting for the disciples. But as we look at this, um, we see very clear directions for what to do. We're there to heal the sick. But if they do not receive you, go your way and shake the dust off your feet and leave. And then it says some pretty harsh things. It says of Chorazin and Bethsaida that if they had repented or if, or if, or if Sodom had heard the words that, that these two cities had heard, they would have repented long ago in Sackcloth and Ashes. And this is always amazing to me when I read this because when you think about the most wicked cities in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah are near the top of the list. But Jesus is basically saying if they had the opportunity to repent like you did, they would have. And of course, we see another example of that in Nineveh who repented and God spared them because there were so many people who were children who did not know their right from their left. So... We, we have this, uh, this situation and this encouragement that we actually have um, in verse 16, which says, he that, heareth you, he, he that heareth you, heareth me, and he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And I, I'm getting more and more well-known and more and more public with my opinions, and it's very easy to be labeled a hater, to be labeled uh, a bigot, or to be labeled um, needlessly narrow-minded. 
for my position simply because I believe that the Word of God is unchanging. But this is an encouraging thing to me that if they despise me, it's because they despise the one who I work for. And they hated Jesus. This is one of the ironies that I have in some of the discussions I have because people say, well, God is love. Jesus accepted everybody. He never judged anybody. Well, uh, excuse me, but how in the world, if he never judged anybody and was just all lovey-dovey all the time with everybody, how in the world did that get him nailed to a Roman cross? He wasn't nailed to a Roman cross simply for saying, I love everybody and everything you're doing is okay. No, he said, woe to you, scribes and hypocrites. He said, that, he said that the Pharisees were whitewashed tombs. He said that, that the outside of the glass looked clean, but the inside was dirty. He said that they were wasting money that they should have been using to take care of their parents, and they were giving it to the temple and said it was a gift, and that was okay. And Jesus said, no, it's not. It's not okay. It's wrong. He said, their lips profess to know me, but their hearts are far from me. This is why he got nailed to a cross. Yes, he is love. The epitome of love is to take someone in judgment and take their judgment upon you so that they can walk free. That's what his love is all about. We cannot understand the love of God until we understand the judgment that we are under without him. I found this poem kind of going back to our first point about trust. And it says this, Trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him he is ever faithful. Trust him for his will is best. Trust him for the heart of Jesus is the only place to rest. So our first two points are go forth and trust me. And then if they don't receive you, move on. Let's look at Acts chapter 18 verse 6 real quick before we move on to our third point. Acts 18, verse 6. <clears throat> and this is talking about Paul. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. So, what is the situation? Paul's message is not being received by the Jews. So just like in this passage we just read, he shook their dust off him and said, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, I want to be very careful here and say that we need to pray for those who we know who have not come to Jesus. And we need to not forget to continue to do that until he works his miracle. George Mueller had five people that he was praying 
would come to Christ throughout his lifetime. Five specific people. One came to Christ just a few years after he started praying. One came to Christ like 20 years after he started praying. The last one didn't come to Christ until after Jordan Mueller died. I believe that's the story. I could be a little wrong. I'd encourage you to look it up on your own. But the point being that he didn't give up. And all five of those people trusted Christ. Now, this, the sad part and the hard, hardest part to comprehend is we know that some people will be eternally lost. Some will not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because people are wicked. They don't seek after God. But we still can be encouraged that God is a God of miracles and that he will continue to work his will. All right, well, um, so our final point is <clears throat> keeping keep your success in perspective, and that is Luke 10, 17 to 24. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as a lightning fall from heaven, Behold, I give, you, give unto you power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be hurt by any means, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, in, in this rejoice not that the servants are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which shall see things, which shall see the things that you see. For I tell you, the many prophets and kings have desired to see these things, which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear the things which ye hear and have not heard them. So, the disciples come back and they're very excited. They said, they said, you know, they they basically are saying, you know. Even the devils are subject to us through thy name. You know, and they were just really excited because they did this mission for God and it worked out really well. And they're just full of excitement. And then Jesus does something interesting. He starts talking about Satan. I, you know, if I wanted to encourage people to continue doing good, I'm not necessarily sure that this is the route I would take. But Jesus is simply reminding them that Satan was an angel of light. He was someone that was in a high place in heaven. And then he got big, got a big head, to put it lightly. And he says, I will ascend over the Most High. I will be like God. He wanted to take the place of God, and God said no, and he kicked the devil out of heaven. Of course, we know that the devil still had certain entrance into heaven, which is something I, I don't understand as well. 
Because as we talked about this morning with Job, Satan had an audience with God, and God said, Satan, where were you? And he said, I, I was roaming up and down the earth and going back and forth in it. And I wonder if he's still doing that today. And he says, Have you considered my servant Job, who delighteth in good and escheweth evil? And so I won't go through the whole pattern, but the devil basically takes Job down to his bare bones. And Job continues to serve God. And so as these 70 are coming back and they're excited, then Jesus said, don't rejoice that you have power over the demons. Rather rejoice if your name is written down in heaven. My name is written in heaven. I made a decision in 1984 to follow Christ in my life. It was the best decision I ever made. There was a lot of struggle and a lot of arguing with God after it, but I knew what my permanent destination was to you. Do you know today that if you were to die, that you would be headed to heaven? You can. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead after he died on the cross, then you can be saved. And it says, With the heart man believeth unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made. So if you believe it in your heart, find someone to publicly confess it to. And then Jesus talks about how he uh, chooses who to reveal things to. There's another passage where he talks about how he hides things from the wise and reveals things to the simple. Nowhere is that more evident than today. There are so many intelligent, foolish people out there who have graduate degree upon graduate degree upon graduate degree, and yet they look at the vast expanse of the universe that we have before us, and they say, it just happened. A big bang occurred, and here we are. There's no real purpose for us. We're just floating in the ether. The Bible says that God, one day in eternity past, before there was a day, decided to create a world. Five days later, on the sixth day, he said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then he breathed into man the breath of life. That gives me a purpose. Because God breathed into me the breath of life. That's why we can't sanction the killing of the unborn, because God breathed into them the breath of life. Because God said they should live. No man has the right to decide who should live. And who should die. My days are written in a book. 
And God knows how many days those are. And then, in verse 24, he says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. Think about this. The disciples saw the resurrected Christ. They touched him. They ate food with him. Meanwhile, Job, having no personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, said these words, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. See, Job was looking forward to things that he hadn't seen. And these disciples had the opportunity to live in that area, in that era, where they got to see those things. And we, looking forward, will see those things. We will see him. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means that Margaret Sanger, the one who founded Planned Parenthood so that she could wipe out the undesirables in this world. That means Adolf Hitler. That means any heinous person that you can think of through the annals of history will bow their knee before the God of the universe and give an account for why they did what they did. And that gives me comfort. Because whenever I hear about more babies dying or I see these videos from Planned Parenthood, I just want to cry. It makes me sick to my stomach and yet it needs to be talked about. It needs to be shared because it's reality. We can't just sanitize everything because it's uncomfortable. We need to speak to reality. We need to realize that Jesus kept his promises to the disciples. He was with them when they went out two by two, which I think is also a significant thing. We need each other. This is not a solitary um, endeavor. And I, I'm constantly praying that God will provide me with the right ministry partners. He's provided me with some good help on and off, but I'm still praying for that permanent partner, for that help meet, to help me further my ministry to broken families and to broken people. Because God mends broken lives. He mends broken people. And the things that these disciples have seen in this scripture pale in comparison to what we will see one day in heaven. Scriptures say, Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man which God, that, which, that which God has prepared for those that love him. And just in case 
you're wondering if there was, there's anything you can do to earn salvation or anything you can do if you don't feel worthy, I want to leave you with this example and then we'll pray. The thief had nails through both hands so he could not work. And a nail through each foot so he couldn't run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation. And yet Christ offered him the gift of God and he took it. Christ threw him a passport and took him to paradise. And that is D.L. Moody. Think about it. Your very eternal destiny may be hanging in the balance today. But I trust that you've already made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the 70 that you sent out. I thank you for this example that when you call someone, you equip the call. These men were not special. They didn't have superpowers of their own. They weren't called because they were healed. They were called, they, they weren't called because they could heal. They were called and given the power to heal because it was your will. And so, Lord, we know that you will give us the power for whatever calling you have for us. And we pray that we would move forward in faith and in boldness, knowing that that the truth is the truth, and that it's unchanging and unwavering, and we should be the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.